We want to remind everyone we have social media exclusive content like our two-minute drill as well as other video content. To find that, please make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok for more. We are kicking off episode number 11 here on the Let's Be Frank video podcast. I'm your host, Jason Duey. Shortly joining me will be head coach Frank Monica. But tonight we have a great episode. We're going to have, again, some week 10 recaps, week uh, playoff round one previews. We're going to talk LSU, Tulane, the Saints. And we're going to have on special guest, after further review, host Matt Moscona. And head coach Frank Monica is going to talk about whether defensive alignment should line up on the line or off the off the ball or on the ball. So we'll go ahead and bring on coach after we take a moment to thank our title sponsor, Accardo and Dufresne Law Firm, your go-to River Parish lawyers. So we'll go ahead and bring on head coach Frank Monica. Coach, the second season, as we call it, begins here with the playoffs and a lot of excitement in the air. What's your – What's your take on the new format? And just very briefly, I know we have a lot of different opinions varying on this, but uh, in the way it's set up, what's your take on the way that is structured as of right now? Well, I think I, I really like the idea, the fact that there are more teams in, involved in it, but the, the flip side of it, the, the select and non-select things, uh, they go, they're taking a pattern from last year, which was you got 28 on one side, uh, which is the – public school side or the non-select side, and then the select side will have will have 24 in the bracket. Uh, it's still, you know, uh, somewhat, and we'll talk about that later, but it's still interesting. It's still the playoffs. It, it still gives people that uh, didn't have a great year, but they got rewarded for playing a real tough schedule. And that's, that's, that's the bottom line here. So uh, I don't know if this first week you're going to see a lot of upsets, but look for something in that second week, the bi-district week. Look for something that in that quarterfinal round. I think you can see some big-time upsets. Thanks, Coach. I want to go ahead and take a look as we begin prep talk. I'm going to take a look at some of the recaps from week number 10. Some big games that were had district implications on the line. This was one of them. U-High taking on Parkview Baptist. 55-21 to win for U-High in that matchup. Coach, U-High is a very fast, physical talented ball club led by their star quarterback, who's, again, five four-star transferring from Mississippi and lighting up the scoreboard. There's no question that they can, they can, they have a lot of athletes, and I think they're one of the teams that you possibly could see in the Superdome, but, but uh, I mean, they, there's, a t- there's a tough bracket that they have to go through, but uh, I saw them early in the year in the scrimmage, and, and they're very, very talented. That quarterback was not involved in that scrimmage because you're waiting for his eligibility status because he was a transfer guy. But look for them to be there when the dust settles. Thanks, Coach. And looking at our next game, we had Newman taking on St. Charles. St. Charles got the 28 to nothing victory. St. Charles kind of pulled away late in that game, but really looked very dominant in that ball game pretty much start to finish. They looked like that Newman when they got off the bus weren't ready. Uh, they had an opportunity, I think, that with the opening kickoff, St. Charles flips and they had the ball. They had him backed up, and they completed a pass on third and long. And from there, I think everything else was – was all SEC, um, and, and Newman never could solve their defense. They never could solve the defense. Never got, they got no traction, uh, no rhythm going on offense, and, and uh, St. Charles was really, really good on both sides of the ball. Later on, they had a they had a shutout, but later on, they, they had a 90-yard drive. They also had a block punt. But I think the difference was, as we talked about on this show all the time, turnovers. Newman had two fast turnovers, and before you looked up, they were down 14-0, and against the St. Charles defense, um, you know, they just didn't have a chance to come back. In our next game, we had St. James taking on E.D. White again for another district title. E.D. White won 27-19 in that game. E.D. White has been so close for so many years, Coach, and this physical team once again 
kind of outpaced this athletic, talented team of St. James, but uh, Edie White has to be pleased going into the playoff, kicking the door down. And, and they, they've had two, real, real, three real good years in a row here, and they're running the proper offense for their personnel. Real, real powerful, physical uh, football team will knock you off the ball with a, with a lot of wing T concepts involved with an option concept. So, and uh, that's a big game because St. James and Edie White, they're kids from that from that uh, area that go to E.D. White and, and sort of like that. So they know one another. So that's like a backyard brawl every year. In our next game, we had John Curtis taking on Carr in a shocking final score, 41-7. to Of course, there's a little bit of controversy with J.T. Curtis becoming the winningest head coach of all time, but there was a lot of discussion about that and, and deducting wins. But regardless, his focusing on his team this year, they're getting hot at the right time. They took two oh, losses back-to-back weeks, and they're rolling at the right time, Coach. No question. I mean, they're scary. Whoever has them in the bracket, they they got to be shaking their boots because, uh, I mean, first of all, you, they, have, they have the personnel. They now have the chip on their shoulder with all this this uh, controversy that's going on with it, and I'm, I'm sure they carry that into the car game. And, uh, you know, I don't know if car – Caught flat-footed, or whatever. But uh, uh, I think that this is this is the matchup that you could see again. Thanks, and you're absolutely right. We'll see if it, that that does end up happening in our next game. We had Karen Crow taking on Shaw, and it was a very tight ball game, as you mentioned before. The show looked like a basketball score, fifty-seven to fifty. But Shaw continues to roll, and both of these very good teams, both of them will compete and, and be in a running to make a run for that state title. But Shaw winning eight in a row. After dropping their first two, they coach has to be really thrilled with the way that they've been playing. What surprised me was the, was the score, and that's the fact that that Shaw won, but the score because Shaw was, I mean, the Karen Crow was number one coming in as a seed coming into this ball game. Of course, they played at Shaw, but they hung in there. It was a heck of a heck of a game. I mean, you know, um, Coach Terry told me at the beginning of the year that game one. Uh, because of the heat, they were not allowed because of the, their, their training staff to go outside that much because of the wet bulb thermometer. Because you remember we had 90 degree heat, I mean, 99 degree heat. And so you can see that the effects of that now that they're they're able to things cool off, they're really rolling and they, they got their practice and everything in order. So they're a team that in, in that classification that really, really can end up in the Superdome. In our next game, we had Jesuit taking on Rummel. Jesuit getting the 13 to 10 victory rummel of course has been decimated by injuries throughout the year but jesuit has been fighting growing pains all year and comes away with this three-point victory they came they came up with a real real good defensive effort in the second half or rummel didn't get a, a first down in the whole second half and in a close score in the game and that's exactly i know what coach Manali wanted i know coach monica would like to see that him win that ball game because they'd have gotten a home game out of it but the, the winner of that game ended up with a home game. Judge could be a home game. Rum was to go on the road. So that game did have a, a, important consequences. In our next game, we had St. Aug taking on Brother Martin. Brother Martin just does the typical Brother Martin things, grinds out a 24-6 to six win over a very athletic St. Aug ball club. But this team doesn't always get the flashiest wins. They don't put up a ton of points. But great defense and solid ground-and-pound football, and that's what Brother Martin does, and it's worked these past two years. No question. And they, they really, as we talked about before, uh, they epitomize what they call complementary football. Their offense plays to their defense. They're not flashy. They don't, they're not a high-scoring team, uh, but, they, but you're not going to blow them off the, off, off the ball either defensively. So they will be in every ball game because of all three phases they play extremely well. Coach, when you have a team like that that likes to be big, physical, and run the football, um, 
what do you do defensively schematically wise to ensure that you give your team the best chance to stop their run defense, their run rushing attack to kind of force them to throw the football. Sometimes you have to gamble a little bit. And that means that you might have to slant a little bit to formations. Sometimes you have to bring another guy to go get gap cancellation. You got to do things differently. Sometimes you might bring a guy off the edge and, and, and give them, you know, a wide nine technique or what they call it. But uh, sometimes you have to gamble a little bit and give up something. And sometimes it's the flat. Sometimes it's a, it's a, it's a deep ball or whatever. But uh, you might have to put a few more people around the line of scrimmage. And that's very, very important. As you might have that guy that, that people call like the robber. Uh, he's a guy that can play both pass and also play, play a little bit of defense, run defense and pass defense. Coach, you, you said you had kind of have to gamble and, and decide what you're going to give up. How much is that predicated upon the opponent that you're playing, what you're willing to give up? Or is there something that if, if, you're, if you have to give it up in order to ensure you stop the run, you're going to do it automatically? Well, sure. I mean, I think every every defense coordinator goes in the ball game with a couple game plans, and he's got a what if category. And say, okay, if we can't stop them here. What if we can't stop them? What do I go to? So I have to have something in my back pocket. If you don't, you're in trouble. I mean, so uh, you, you you might have had great defense all year long, but sometimes your, your team is not motivated. Sometimes they're not emotional, and they're what people call flat. And that happens in football because they're not going to be jacked up for ten ball games in a year. It's, it's, you can see these teams that actually are roller coasters and uh, emotionally, and that's what normally happens. And it's it's pretty difficult. So you have to have something in your back pocket to you know. But but hopefully your fundamentals will always be there. You know the, your fundamentals. So when you lose your fundamentals of how to tackle, how to block, then you're going to lose the ball game on end the season. All right, coach. And we're going to go ahead and take a look at our last game, which is Pope John Paul defeating Saint Helena fifty three to thirty four. Pope John Paul kind of securing their location in the bracket, getting a, another nice win and a, a nice resume booster to head into the playoffs. Very, very big, big win here. And the score was, was uh, I thought, was a little bigger than I thought. I didn't think that they would run away with the game like this because St. Helena is really, really talented. They have a lot of speed. But, uh, you know, I love to see these type of programs. Pope John Paul has been, you know, they, they have not been a really, really strong program. They haven't won more than five games in the last few years. And, but now all of a sudden they find themselves with a heck of a season and now have a chance to make some noise in the playoffs. And I love to see teams like that resurrect themselves and have good years after they've been down. And, man, the community even gets excited. The school gets excited. The culture is totally different. You walk the halls, you, you see signs, you, you know, you see cheerleaders. Can't wait for that ball game and stuff like that. I mean, the impact of that, we talked about this on a previous show, the impact of, 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 that, of a team turning around like that is just tremendous for everybody in the community. Thanks, Coach. We're going to go ahead and head into our bracket breakdown as we take a look first at Division One select part of the bracket, looking at the top part of the bracket. Coach, there's a lot of great football that's ahead of us, a lot of potential teams to make some runs. What do you see in this top part of the bracket that intrigues you? Well, what I like to do is it just kind of covers some some games that are down the line, not necessarily the next week because of the better teams have gotten buys, but teams that are down the line and some matchups that you might want to look up, look for, pencil them in that could come down the line. You could see second week, you could see Holy Cross again playing against Jesuit, and that just happened just uh, two weeks ago. You could see Acadian and Karen Crow also and two, right across the street from one another, playing one another. Again, you can see Brother Martin and Carr lining up the second week or in the same side of the bracket. Catholic High and Curtis, that could be a real big matchup. A little bit further down the line, the quarterfinals, but big matchups. And, and uh, D, in D2, you can see Shaw and St. Thomas Moore. 
and St. Thomas More, in my opinion, might be the best team in the state uh, of, of all classes right now. They're really, really good. Uh, you can see Terlins and, and E.D. White, which will be a real good matchup. And again, none of these are the first round, but they're down to the second or third round. Uh, D3, you can St. Charles and Notre Dame on second week. I mean, and uh, that, that could be a real instant game. Uh, Notre Dame and Coach Cook is looking for win number 400. So, I mean, that could be very, very significant. Uh, Calvary, Baptist, and Dunham. Don't count Dunham out. They were a team that played for state championship last year. They were young, lost a lot of players, but don't count them out. And then Calvary Baptist, as you, as you know, is the number two seed, and, and they're really good from what we understand. Uh, D4, you can see Riverside and St. Martin again in, in just a few weeks, and, and that was a blowout the first time they met. Uh, and Washtenaw, Christian, St. Mary's should be a good, good matchup in, in, in D4. Uh, down in the non-select, D1, non-select. Uh, be on the lookout for, for Walker High School, who's had a phenomenal year. Uh, led with the uh, coach Mahaffey against West Monroe, a real fine team from, from the north that uh, had been the Superdome in a while. But, uh, you know, we missed them because they really have been a, a great presence uh, over the years. Destrian and Zachary, they didn't get in bigger than that. And that's going to that's going to take place in week two or three uh, in that bracket. I think they both I'm sure they already started breaking down one another, even though they have to uh, they will have buys. Uh, then Neville and East St. John, the second round game. That could be a big. A big, big uh, game for East St. John down here. And uh, Neville, of course, the, the East St. John would have to travel there. Uh, and D2, we're looking at North DeSoto in the second week against a possible Lakeshore team. And the reason why I bring that up, you say, well, Lakeshore didn't have that a great year. But uh, Coach Indes, with that, he's got a, an offense that's that's hard to stop and he can deceive people. But North DeSoto, for understand, is very, very talented. That could take place the second round. Uh, Abbeville and Lutcher is a possibility matchup. Abbeville seemed to be rolling. I saw them about mid-year. They didn't seem to have the act together. Uh, but that could be a real, real interesting matchup because they're really, really a talented football team and they run the triple option. Uh, the, the Cecilia, I think it's at the bottom of the bracket, is a team to, to look out for. And I think one of the better teams in that whole division will be Cecilia. They're the number two seed. And uh, even though they, would, would, they wouldn't face a team like North DeSoto until the finals, but that could be a real good matchup. Uh, division three. I think that, you know, you got, I think Gina is there right now the, the number one seed, uh, but a meet in Union Parish uh, is, is uh, those two, th that could be a real, real good team. Union Parish is always physical. Coach Spatz has done a great job. They're always there every year, but a, a meet is classic speed. Uh, St. James and at the bottom in Sterlington could be a pretty good matchup. St. James, uh, you know, Coach Davis had a fine year in Sterlington. There's the number two seeds from the bottom of part of the bracket. That could be an interesting matchup. Again, none of these are this week, but the team that you can watch throughout this bracket and, uh, and uh, the, these matchups, Logansport and Haynesville, the number one, number four seed there. And that could, that's going to be a matchup. Naturally, that's a semifinal game, Oak Grove and Kentwood. I mean, you know, you talk about Haynesville, Oak Grove, they, they, they're always around the Superdome in some fashion. They're never more than a year or two away, even though they don't get there. So those are some big matchups that you need to look for. Uh, throughout this thing, and I'm sure next week we'll know a little bit more. Coach, any sleepers that you see in in, in any bracket that might stand around? We know we know uh, on paper at least the most wide open brackets the past few years have been that two A and three A range in the non select side. So that would make it Division two and Division three on the non select side of the bracket this year. But is there a sleeper team in any division that you see maybe making some noise and? and pulling a few upsets and making a run to the dome that some people may be overlooking. 
I, I, I agree with it. I think two and three is wide open. There's no dominant team. North Dakota is supposed to be pretty good. Uh, but I understand that Cecilia has a, a, a electrifying quarterback. And uh, so that could be a matchup that people would like to see. So look for them. But don't count out a, a team like a, a team like Lutcher that's been there before. They're a defender state champion. Uh, they, they play real, real good defense. Don't count them out. And you know, with a couple breaks here or there, you never know what happens in the playoffs. And especially when it comes to Thanksgiving week, we'll, we'll talk about that because a lot of teams don't handle Thanksgiving week very well. And the reason why I say that, they're off of school. They're out of, they, they, they go hunting. They, do, they, they just don't have the same focus sometimes. So that's a different week. Uh, also, keep an eye on, on, on St. James because they can, make, they can make some noise too. So those two classifications, they're not a clear-cut team that say, well, I wouldn't want to play them. I think it's wide open. And the level of competition there all year long has not been as strong as some of the other brackets. Absolutely. And it's uh... – any, anybody can win a coach, right? That's why you play the game on the field. And with, with the playoffs beginning, it's the second season, as they call it, for a reason. Everybody mm. is 0-0, and, and everybody has an equal shake. I think there was uh, – I, I believe, I could be mistaken, there was a, a Jennings team that was like 24 seed, and they ended up playing St. James in the Dome a few years back uh, when they won the title. So you really don't know what to expect. Any team can come out of the woodwork, and it's – it's gonna be interesting to see as how things play out. No, I, I used to tell my team, Jason, because once the team gets hot and they start to get some momentum, you know, tell what can happen. I used to tell my team, when you decide that this thing is over with, it's it's up to you. If you think it's over with, it's over with. In other words, it's all about do you want to continue to prepare? That's the most important thing. When they they, they fail to prepare, I remember one of my best teams, the quarterfinal round, and we went out to practice that Monday, and I knew then and there, and we got beat that quarterfinal round that we did not want to play. And I mean, because we had beaten this team already convincingly, and I can see in their eyes that that's not who they wanted to play again. And, and we got beat that night. And I never forget, it. one of my better teams I've ever had at St. Charles. I think i got to guess who that is, but I'm not going to keep that to myself. <laughs> <laughs> so we we'll go ahead and take a look at some local college football. Um, in our first matchup, we had LSU taking on Alabama. Alabama defeated them 42-28. to Coaches, a lot of places you can start and look at. One thing is the offense played really well against his Bama defense until they threw an interception late in the game. They had a drive right before half. There was a lot of positives, but the bottom line is the defense is so porous. You mentioned on the phone with me you didn't even attempt to spy um, Milrow on on you know on the defense side of the football and. There's a lot of cushion, Coach. How many flat routes or routes right at the tight end or right at the linebacker do you have to run with the tight end before making an adjustment? And I, I feel like that is the true weakness. It's not necessarily just the secondary or just the linebackers or just the, the, the defensive line. It's there's no adjustments being made, at, or if there are, they're not effective. And not putting the right guys in, the play, in place. Where was Whit Weeks, Coach? Weeks was missing from the field. Why? I, I just don't understand it. Well, if you notice, on every play, there was space. What I mean is that even on the runs, you didn't see – you saw huge gaps and people – that means that you got movement. There was that, that means that somebody was pushed out of their lane. There were no rush lanes on, on the path. There were no rush lanes whatsoever. They would just kind of do their own thing, or they got mauled at the line of scrimmage, which happened a lot. And whenever some of the better players were addressed in, in the, on that defense, they just got pushed back. It was more than secondary, as you said. It was more than just the linebackers. There was space all over the place, and and uh, they made the Alabama quarterback, and he's a good player, 
but it made him look like a Heisman Trophy candidate. And he sure did. I mean, he'd never had that kind of run game against anybody, you know, all year long. And he won't for the rest of the year. But, but, but they have to fix some things. And, and I don't know if, if LSU has an answer. I, I really feel badly for him because I think that some of their athletes that they were depending on to be real good athletes have not panned out for him. And I, I think it's going to take a while for Coach Kelly to build that defense into the championship caliber defense because if you don't have a championship defense, you, you're not going to win many more games. And it looks like everybody's patting them on the back after the last two efforts, but they didn't play good, good offenses. And, and, and Alabama's not a great offense. But this guy made them look really like a JV team. So I just hope and pray that they can kind of solve this issue and maybe run out here. But I don't see that happening, even against a, a team like Florida. Coach, I think that's also kind of feeds into the discussion of, you know, putting a Band-Aid on a, on a problem, on a root issue with, with the reliance of the portal to – I think Coach Kelly knows the expectations with this job, right, that this is – this is title or bust town. This is Baton Rouge. It's a tough place to win and stay. We've seen two coaches who won titles pushed out the door in back-to-back openings. So I think he's building his team to fit the need now, but also for the future. But as of right now, Coach, having to build through the portal for your defensive backs isn't cutting it. And uh, I'm interested to see how that will change and impact the way that he builds this roster moving forward. Yeah, I think you look at the portal for for needs. I don't think you sell out in it. I think you look at it for needs. And then, but uh, they also listen. Deion Sanders has done a nice job when he 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 took a bunch. He took seventy new guys and he blended them together. Even though right now they're not they they're going to end up with about five hundred. But he blended them together. But you, there's a lot of mistakes to be made in recruiting the transfer portal. And I always thought if a guy's transferring and he's got some baggage, he's got he's transferring for a reason. So you got to make sure those guys mesh with you. And the character, so that, uh, but that is that that that's something I think that will be resolved in, in the near future when he gets his own people in there. Thanks, coach. And uh, of course, next week they take on Flo- Florida. Uh, I don't think that's an easy matchup for LSU. I, I know it's at home, but you put so much energy into that Alabama game. Mindset is a concern for me because at at ten and two, right? You feel like if we go beat Georgia. Of course, it's almost that SEC mentality where they're not going to keep an SEC champion out, right? So I feel like you still have that motivation. How much does motivation come into this game with three losses, knowing that any even remote outside opportunity of a playoff berth is done? What do you think? The, how much does mentality and mindset come into this game? Well, I think I think a lot of things. Well, they come in home for one thing. That's got to help. You know, when you go on the road, it's just, it's different. There's different locker rooms. It's different. You, you sleep pattern. You sleep in a hotel. You wake up. It's just different. Uh, when you're home, you sleep in your own bed, and that's it. And you know the routine already. You know what time you have to report for things, and and uh, you know, your is already set when you when you're from home. Now that doesn't mean you're going to win the ball game, but uh, one thing I think they have to be a lookout. Florida's quarterback now is good enough to make their secondary look look porous again. So don't count out Florida. I think the two touchdown advantage here, especially if, if Daniels doesn't play, I think that's that's big because I think LSU's offense is very very average without Daniels. I think they're very average without him. I think their offensive line is is is, is just okay, but without Daniels, he makes them look better. He makes the whole team look better because he can scramble it and, and extend plays and stuff like that. Uh, and Nussmeyer, I think, is a good quarterback, but he's a good pocket quarterback. Can he extend plays like Davis? No. But don't be surprised now. Florida gives them everything they want because I don't know if if if, if LSU can stop them either. Because I think that quarterback fresh is good enough to move the ball against them. 
And looking at the next matchup, which is Tulane defeated East Carolina 13-10. to Coach Tulane just finds a way, uh, whether it's battling through adversity, battling through injuries, whatever it may be. We know Pratt wasn't 100% at certain times in that game. They still found a way to win, and that's what matters at this point. Continue winning. With that Air Force loss, it really pushes them into the premier position of taking that major bowl game berth. So just keep winning, similar to what we say about the Saints. And I think everything's to be fine with them. Well, you know, the Tulane faithful, they had, they, and I think they, they appreciate this. They remember days when, when the team got uh, got down like this and they needed that last drive, that they didn't they didn't complete the drive. They didn't win. But they, the culture now is that they can win these close ball games, and they expect to win these close ball games. That's three games in a row. They had to drive with their offense, and they put the, they put the ball game away with their offense going forward on fourth down just to keep the other team away from it. So that's three big ball games in a row that they've done that. So it's a credit to them. Uh, they're playing close, and they played the last two in a row. And hopefully when they come back to Tulsa, they'll be, they'll be a different team, even though they've been favorites, a big favorites in these things. And, but, uh, but, you know, when you go on the road, especially – well, I've played in East Carolina a couple of times, and it's a tough place to play. I know they only had they were one and seven, but that's a when they, you win a game on the road, that says a lot about your football team. And you know, a W is a W. It, it doesn't have to be sexy. Uh, and when it's, uh, you know, at the end of the year, they're just going to ask you record. Remember, TCU played for the national championship last year, and in four ball games, they won in the last possession of the game. So they got they got to remember that. Uh, a W is a W, and no matter when it or where it comes and who they play it against. Thanks, Coach. In our next game, they do take on Tulsa, which uh, should be an interesting matchup. 11, uh, 12 o'clock kickoff there. Um, again, what do you expect in that matchup from the Green Wave? I, I really think that you're going to see Tulane put together a complete game. Uh, you know, Tulsa has been – they've been a nemesis now at Tulsa. But now they have them at home, and I think the kids are anxious to come here. I hope they pack the place. I hope they have a great crowd uh, there to spur them on. They, they deserve it. They really deserve it. The city of New Orleans deserves it. Uh, they, they, they have a winner, and they have a good college football team, a D1 college football team. And, uh, you know, because you know, remember where they've come from. And I, I think this guy's a natural. Uh, coach Fritz is a natural for this. He's a perfect fit for the as a head coach there. And uh, – and, uh, and I know they, they're going through struggles about getting a, a new AD, and I hope that Coach Fritz has a, has a hand in that in some fashion. But uh, I look for them to do extremely well against Tulsa and hopefully get that ninth win. I mean, that, that, when you think about looking at double-digit wins at, at Tulane University, that's huge. And we're going to go ahead and take a look at the Saints as they took on the Bears this past weekend and got a win. Coach, one thing that we always talk about is appreciate those wins. Uh, regardless how you get them, regardless how pretty or ugly they look, the the one question does come into play. They've been playing a ton of backup quarterbacks, coach. Does that really matter at the end of the day, in your opinion? That, that's a that's a good point. Well, you know those guys in meetings too. The only thing about an NFL quarterback, the starter, and all the practice takes ninety percent of the reps. There's just not enough reps to go go around. I tell you why, because they don't have they don't have a number of scout teamers. So it's not like in college, you know, you, you got to you got to trim down your roster. Uh, what is it, 52? And really, that's that's before the ball game. It's really 49, and uh, so they have to trim down the roster. There's not a lot of scout teams out there. So when you go out to practice in the NFL, you have, you script those plays, and you're only going to get X amount of plays, maybe 25 a day with that first unit. So that second quarterback is not getting many reps, you know. So, but they're good athletes. 
So they have to get more mental reps than anything else. So that's what people don't understand. Like in college, you got the second team, third team getting reps. That that's not the same way in the NFL because of lack of players. So, uh, but you know, uh, three the five turnovers and that was really big. And uh, they had the ball a lot in the red zone. Uh, the time of possession was definitely in favor of the Saints. And and uh, but they, they they still they I still think that their offense can can throw the ball vertically a little bit more. They didn't do too much of that the other day. Uh, Taysom Hill had a nice game and. I think the way he was used was really, really effective also and gave him some big first downs when they, when they need to be in the red zone. And looking forward, they play yet another backup quarterback, although, Coach, uh, you have to be impressed with what Dobbs was able to do. He literally didn't take any reps. He was working on snap count with the center before the game. For him to go out there and put on the performance that he was with his ball club is quite impressive. And how nervous do, do the Saints need to be about this uh, Vikings ball club even without Jefferson playing. Yeah, well, even without that, and, and the, the quarterback, I mean, uh, Cousins was, was, I think, one of the best quarterbacks of standing in the pocket. You know, he was really, really good about that. But, again, um, you know, you're going on a road. You're going on a road in NFL City. Uh, and when you in the NFL City, what people don't understand, you have a partisan crowd. I mean, you know, almost 100% of that crowd is, is for the home team. And uh, you might have 50 people that, that travel with the, the visiting team, maybe 100 at best. But the bottom line, so, so that makes it even difficult. And, and uh, no one can tell me, too, that sometimes the calls kind of go in favor of the home team. And, uh, you know, so to speak, if you haven't noticed that, the Saints, for instance, the other day did not have a penalty. Uh, they had one five-yard penalty. And I, I thought and the other team had eight. So, but they went to Houston, and it was just the opposite. So um, there, there's a lot to be said for that. When you go in a row, I've always said, you know, sometimes you have to score twice to get one. Thanks, Coach. And there's a reason why the home team is favored on on their home turf, three and a half, right? Three and a half points is the is the standard home field advantage. So um, that'll do it for our first segment. We're about to head to break, but when we come back, we're going to have special guest Matt Moscona of After Further Review. And before we head out, we'll go ahead and remind you that our title sponsor is the Accardo and Dufresne Law Firms. Samuel Accardo and R.E.P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. We'll be right back. Samuel Accardo Jr. and R.E.P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Accardo and Ari Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters, 
before they actually happen. Welcome back, and tonight our special guest is the program director of 104.5 ESPN of Baton Rouge and the host of After Further Review, it is Matt Moscona. Matt, thank you so much for joining us uh, on tonight's show. And Matt, as you know, after this loss against Alabama, the LSU fan base is um, a little bit bipolar in certain circumstances when it comes to the program and the direction that it's headed. Is there one thing that you think is a fair criticism of the future of the program and one thing that you think maybe is a little bit overblown by the fan base? Hmm. Um, I think that's it's a good question. Um, I, I don't know that I would say so much criticism of the future because I, I think sometimes you have to pull back and take a 10,000-foot view. And, and nobody likes losing. And nobody likes losing Alabama. But – I think it's important to remember what Brian Kelly inherited. You know, he he didn't go from the 2019 national championship team to to taking the job at LSU. I mean, LSU went five and seven and tw- or five and five and then six and seven. So they were eleven and twelve the previous two years before he took over. Um, the entire of the entire 2020 signing class, which would all be seniors right now, by the way. There are three players left on this roster from that class. You basically went a, an entire cycle without having a signing class. So the fact that if they went out here in November, you got back-to-back 10-win seasons when you combined for 11 wins in the previous two, I think that's that's incredible progress. Now, look, they don't hang banners in Baton Rouge for 10-win seasons. It's it's I mean, it's just not the expectation. And I'm never going to tell anybody lower that expectation, but – when you consider what Brian Kelly inherited and what he's been able to do in a relatively short amount of time, um, I think it's it's in that context pretty remarkable. But so I don't know, you know, future of the program, if that criticism is fair. Now, are there things that they still got to fix? Absolutely. I mean, I you know, I watched that defense in twenty twenty. I never thought I'd see a defense at LSU that bad again. Yet, yet here we are. You know, a team that's nearly triple digits in every defensive category. So they got a lot they got to fix still, but they're 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 headed in the right direction. Yeah, I, Matt, I agree with you totally. You know, I I really like being a former coach. Of, coach Kelly is really bringing a different culture. He's very very professional on the sideline. You know, it's like a CEO on the sideline. But uh, uh, and, you know, a good friend of mine, you 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 actually shared the sideline with his Gordy Rush, and in fact, Gordy's going to be on the show again. Uh, in a few weeks from now. But Matt, what's the status, or do you know the status of, uh, of Dan? So uh, Brian, Brian Kelly will give us an update on, on Wednesday morning. But what I was told is that um, the concussion symptoms were mild, and that's, that's, a, that's a great thing for a lot of reasons. I mean, obviously, LSU needs Jaden Daniels, but he's a young guy with, you know, who's having a great season with a lot still to play for personally and for the team. So, um, you you never can be sure because he's it's not just hey can you tough it out 
Nowadays, you have to clear concussion protocol. There are standards in place that he's got to be able yes. to. But from what I understand, it's trending toward toward him being able to play on Saturday, which which is is great for a lot of reasons. Matt, he's so tough. I mean, you know, I've said on this show before, he runs straight up, though. He takes a lot of rib shots, and I like to see him with his little tilt in his shoulder. I wanted to tell you a story. You know, I still work at one of the coaches at the Manning camp, and he was there this uh, last year. He came just to, on an exhibition day, and he was on the field, and I walked up to him, and I see this tall, skinny kid. I walked up to him, introduced myself, and I said, are you one of the receivers that come run routes uh, with the quarterbacks? He said, no, I'm a quarterback. He said, I'm Jalen Daniels from LSU. This is this June. This, this was last year. But I said, I couldn't believe he looked like a basketball point guard, you know. And this year he was one of the camp, he was one of the instructors himself. And just a nice, nice, fine kid. And and listen, very humble. Very and all the things you hear about him and about being early in the in the film room. I uh, that I cherish that that part of a of an athlete, you know, that some of the he goes beyond the call of duty to make himself good. Drew Brees had that same work ethic. He's a Jaden's a special guy, and I think that's why. Just when you look to the next level, you're going to see his draft stock really catapult because typically we just listen. And, and coach, you know this, but you know the the measurables and the physical ability are obvious to everybody when a, when a guy has it. You know, are you tall enough? Can can you make all the throws? Are you fast? All that stuff. But when you really start to see draft stock rise is when guys go to the combine or the senior bowl their pro day and they meet with nfl teams and gms and these nfl organizations have to decide am i going to invest tens of millions of dollars into this person to be the face of my franchise and jay daniels is one of those guys that an nfl general manager is never going to have to worry about whether or not he's going to make the right decisions mm-hmm. is he going to be bought in to be in the best he can be right um, and, and that that peace of mind goes a long way when, when you're making, you know, you know when, when you're spending somebody else's tens of millions of dollars. Right? Well, no question. His first two steps uh, matter so quick. He's in out of the pocket so so quick now because he uh, of all they had 20, 40 something um, college quarterbacks at the Manning camp, and I would say he was probably in the mid pack as far as arm strength. You know, mm-hmm. for his arm strength, because the rest of the guys, they had some gunslingers in there. You know, the, yeah. uh, you name them, they, they were there. And But he's so efficient in the pocket and, you know, when, when everything breaks down up front. Because I don't know if his offensive line is great, but but anyway, he, he could really, really accelerate and get out of the pocket. And, boy, I'm telling you, when you're, they talk about, we're going to talk about that later about a spy. Let me ask you this. What is your take on, on, the, on the defense? If, were they overrated? Because, um, Matt, I got this thing. That number zero, Mason Smith. I don't see him making any plays. He doesn't get off of blocks whatsoever. And uh, that, that, were they overrated? And I, I made a comment to someone. I don't know if anybody on that defense right now would even be second team, or SEC, um, even second team. I think you're right. Um, you know, the thing about a guy like Mason, um, you know, Coach, I, I struggle sometimes, uh, and I'll just – I can't just candidly, right, as a professional. I struggle um, – when it comes to being critical of college athletes, because I, when I've done this job long enough and gotten to know enough of those guys that I think one of the disconnects sometimes that fans have is you sit in the stands or you watch on TV and you see these enormous people, Mm -hmm. right? And you lose sight of the fact that sometimes they're 18, 19, 20 years old. Um, 
And when you go interview them and you're, you're face to face with them, you get to know some of these guys, you realize, man, that's, that's a kid. <laughs> I mean, he's, not, he's 19 years old, 20 years old. Um, but, you know, with, with Mason specifically, I think you know, one of the real challenges when a, when a guy is as highly rated coming out of high school as he is, is there's, there's expectation that follows with that rating. The tough part is he didn't ask for that. You know, he didn't ask for the five-star rating. Those mm-hmm. guys just gave it to him, and sometimes they, they miss. Um, I think when you're just talking about play on the field, the critic- you're right, Coach. I mean, the criticism is fair. Um, we expected Mason to have a really special-type season, and it just hasn't manifest. Maybe, maybe a lot of reasons. Um, coming off a knee injury. He had a, an ankle injury in fall camp. I'm sure getting back into game shape was a part of that as well. Um, I think the fact that they've had five defensive line coaches since the, the start of spring football, which when you say that out loud sounds absurd, but from Jamar Kane to Gerald Chapman to Jimmy Lindsay to John Jancic to Pete Jenkins, I mean, that's five defensive line coaches since spring. I mean, where's the consistency? Um, yeah. The defense as a, as a whole, though, overall, um, I think clearly you've had some guys underperform mm-hmm. and you clearly missed in the transfer portal, right? I mean, they went to go remake that secondary in the portal for the second consecutive year, and a lot of guys that they picked just aren't able to play at a high enough level to to be to, to elevate this defense. You know, a year ago – when you got Jarrett Bernard Converse and Makai Gardner and Joe Fouché and Greg Brooks, you had a lot of guys with a ton of college experience that were more than capable of playing at this level. Maybe maybe that wasn't Patrick Peterson and Grant Delpit and Jamal Adams, but they were certainly good enough and cohesive enough to be a good secondary. Um, the guys you got this year just haven't played at that level. You just you flat and missed on a lot of those guys, and you know, which is why I think in time as Brian Kelly keeps rebuilding this thing, mm-hmm. you're going to keep seeing him build numbers through the high school ranks and then supplementing through the transfer portal, as opposed to what he's had to do the last two years, which is recruit 15 guys out of the portal just to be able to field a team with guys who've had college experience. So what you said earlier, it makes so much sense because what he's done is the sense that all that COVID year and all that stuff, you know, uh, it's been remarkable, but coach, you know, when it comes to missed tackles, uh, a lot about missing tackles, people don't understand, is athleticism and, and speed. And I don't know if they have that. So there's a, it's not just the coaching part or the kids part. You need to have some ability to be a good tackler also, especially in, in open field. And I know they're keeping charts on, on that, but what, what, what I don't understand, when you watch their defense, there's a lot of space in there. Even on a run game, there's a lot of space in there where people are not getting off of blocks. And that, oh, yeah. comes, from, that comes from a lot of speed, lack of speed. Saw a lot of that on Saturday. You know, there was a play back in the old Miss game um, where uh, Andre Sam made a beautiful play in the old Miss game where uh, – who's the, the safety they brought in from Marshall – where Jackson Dart raised up and he threw a, a screen pass to the right side and Sam recognized it, crashed immediately and made the tackle. And Lane Kiffin, who's a really good play caller, came back later. Dart raised up, faked the screen, but – but Sam crashed down and they went back and through to the other side. You had no safety home. And that was the, the it was a, about a 50 yard touchdown pass where the, the receiver made one cut, went up the middle and there, there was no safety <laughs> in the middle of the field. So I think to your point, a lot of that is, is, you know, when, when you're playing, when you're playing coverage and 
you're if you're in a zone defense and you got a zone, you can't leave your zone, man. <laughs> yeah, what, what's your poison? You want you want me to cover all the guys, leave them open, or you want this quarterback to run like the, the kid the no, kid no. did today? Matt, what a, a big point of contention with me is a, is a, I don't understand the special team aspect of it. Here's a you got the a program like LSU, and that's a prominent program like LSU. Their return yardage is really, really – well, one, they don't get people to punt too often. Like I think Alabama punted one time uh, because what leads the NFL every year is 7.8 yards in punt return. And I know I don't think LSU has a punt return all year long. And then that kickoff guy, all he does is fair catch it. So there's no threat in their, in their kicking game. They don't try to make a play with a block punt or anything other than just make their field goals. So, But their special team for the last two years have been really, really subpar. Yeah. In, in my mind, especially since uh, and, and when Greg McMahon left, was a good friend of mine. I thought he was one of the best special team coaches in the entire country. And when when he left, I don't know if they've ever replaced that mentality, that type of that that type of experience. I think there are two really big mistakes Brian Kelly made uh, when he got the job as far as his staff, and it was not retaining Corey Raymond in the secondary, and not retaining Greg McMahon. Um, we uh, whenever when Brian Kelly got hired and he um, and he and he replaced, you know, he hired his new staff um, on my show. I went through every single coach that he hired and compared that coach to the, the coach that was in the position the year before. And, and it, they upgraded across the board at every spot except those two. Um, I can answer the question about why they fair catch every kickoff coach. And that's pretty easy. Um because when you got an offense like LSU's, you'd rather just take the ball to 25 and then risk maybe a, a strip, a fumble, or something like that on a return. So, or a penalty. Or a penalty, yes. Yeah, you can, yeah or a penalty, exactly. I mean, you're going to go 75 yards because nobody can stop your offense. Right. Uh, but you're right about the punt returns. And and when you when you think about LSU, I mean, go back to Eddie Kennison. Eddie Kennison and Kevin Falk and Dominic Davis, all the way through to Skylar Green and Odell Beckham, and all the guys they've had return punts. It is stunning to me that for two years LSU has not been able to find a guy to go back there, catch the ball, and make a guy miss and get a field. Um, and not only that, but also the loss yardage. You know, when when they don't feed, when Greg Clayton doesn't field the punt. I mean, back to back games against um, against Arkansas and against Missouri. 82 yards. One of them was an 82-yard punt. Mm-hmm. You had an opponent punting out of their end zone that downed you inside of your 20. It's uh, – it, you, you got to come up and get spot, man. Uh, it's it, it, Some of that stuff seems so elementary that it, um, it's hard to explain. It, it is. That, you know, I, and I don't want to rag on it, but, you know, we had uh, Coach Frank Wilson on a couple of weeks ago coaching, and he told me they were in off off week. And he had just gotten off the phone. In fact, he had a player in his, in his office, and he was talking to him about potential NFL, whether to come back or not. Didn't mention the kid's name. And he also talked about how he spent this week with NIO stuff uh, because, you know, kids were thinking about doing this or that or, or other things. So he spent the off week doing that. And you alluded to it earlier about this NIO stuff. Is It just totally, totally changed things. And somewhere along the line, the high school kid is getting shafted, especially the junior college kids. Mm. Uh, so do you mean in terms of uh, of recruiting? Being looked at. Being looked at, yeah. That's No, that's true. Um, I think that is one of the very uh, – and, Coach, full disclosure. So I'm I'm in favor of NIL in its truest form. I'm in favor of a guy who or, – or a young lady 
who has an opportunity to capitalize on their on their name. Um, now, I understand a lot of what's going on is actually pay for play, and uh, I don't. That certainly wasn't the spirit of NIL. But you're right that the biggest, I think, unintended consequence is you have teams filling their roster with transfer players, which is taking away opportunities for maybe that two or three star guy that could have been the 25th signing you know, player in a signing class, that now that scholarship opportunity isn't there because a coach, instead of taking the three star, that's going to take three years to develop, they'll go take the transfer that's ready to play. So I do think that's a negative unintended consequence of, of NIL and the transfer portal and, and what's happened. Um, but at this point, I really don't know how you go back. As they say, your Pandora's box is, is open and I'll yeah. close it. Yeah, but Congress that passed that, you're not going back. They're going to have to receive compensation now. But my problem, not a problem that you were actually just like pros. Why would you go to the pros? We're not making just as much money there. You don't get a chance to play college and eat the cafeteria, you know, <laughs> you know stuff like that. But, uh, it, it, Matt, I mean, there's, there's so many things that we can talk about with that program because, you know, you got to love it. You, you got to love it, even though I coached for Tulane for 12 years, but it's still our state school. You know, had a, I was hoping to have an opportunity there myself one day because I had some coaching friends over there that were there and, and stuff like that. But it's a great tradition. Everybody wants to see them win. And I think Coach Kelly, I think, it, you know, I like to hear him say in the paper this morning, uh, he, he alluded to something that maybe there was some evidence there. He said, you know, when I expect the kid to be with a tutor at 930 and he shows up at 10 something. And he also means that at meeting time, he's just coming in when the meeting starts. Uh, I think that might have been something there that he's trying to impress upon his kids and get that culture together oh I, I think that started day one uh when he got here he he when when brian kelly was hired he had every player uh download an app and it was all about accountability it was when are you waking up are you getting enough sleep what are you eating uh, they all had to do these daily check-ins and it was all just about accountability and creating those habits good habits almost like waking up in the morning and making your bed um, and that's a lot of the culture he's trying to build. And that's not a thing that happens overnight. But what's the reason, I mean, sort of to, to tie it full circle where we started the, you know, the, 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 this whole conversation is I think the buy-in has been there from his players. And if you didn't have buy-in, you would have a lot of cultural issues. And by and large, you don't hear about those things in this program which is a real positive moving forward. Because once you have that culture and you've laid the groundwork there, then it's just about getting the right amount of players, the right amount of experience, executing at, a highest, at the highest level. So that's one reason for optimism, because I, I think he has, in uh, in many respects, got guys in this program who are bought into all those things you mentioned. Yeah, and I don't know that in recruiting, I know he likes tight ends. In fact, I was a little yeah. surprised earlier in the year they didn't use two tight ends down on the goal line in an earlier game when it, they couldn't get the ball in the end zone. I'd have to get what game that was. Oh, it was Florida State. It was the first drive of the year. That's right. That's they had exactly right. In the one yard line against Florida State in the first drive of the year. And then he left it. He was exposed on the side. Old coach always taught me to always protect your backside, you know, and, and, and that was exposed on one of those. But I mean, I'm sure they learned from that and everybody does. Um, but Matt, what, what do you think you see in recruiting? What do you think their needs are as far as the future, as far as positional players from here on out? Oh, that 
I think they've got six defensive backs already committed in this class, and that's obviously – I mean, you can look at this team and see that's that's the most glaring need. Um, and, you know, I'm going to be very interested to see what happens not only this year but next year also at, at quarterback. They have Colin Hurley committed, who's a kid out of Jacksonville, who reclassified. So he'll be actually in college a year early. But – they're excited about him, and they have a chance for 2025 to get the number one player in the country in Bryce Underwood. But the most immediate need is you've got to go get defensive backs. I mean, be, you, you tried to address it in the portal this last year, and you signed four. Well, two of those guys aren't even with your program anymore. One uh, And the other two are both injured right now with J.K. Johnson and Zy Alexander. So you, you've recruited a couple of classes now with some young guys, and you hope guys like – Ashton Stamps, who's from the New Orleans area. Jeremiah Hughes, who you went out to Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas and got him. You hope those guys come along. Um, and you'll have some freshmen coming in this year, but that that is the most glaring spot. I mean, you've got to go get defensive backs. And thankfully, that's that's a play, that's a spot where they've gone heavy already in this recruiting class. Matt, we, we talked about this on the show. You know, the, all the emphasis now seems to be in recruiting. Remember years ago, it was all about quarterbacks and running backs. You know what I mean? I really like Diggs because he always falls forward. And like Frank yeah. said, and knock on wood, uh, they haven't laid a, a ball on the ground yet. And that's really, really impressive. Then nobody talks about that. You know, they don't sure. they, they don't lay the ball on the ground. And uh, that's a credit to the, those kids that are strong, their strength. But um, uh, but right now, all the emphasis on, is on, as you said, DBs, but receivers, because everybody wants those tall guys that can run like gazelles. You know, I think they've done a real – I think there's some sort of fan anxiety about receiver, right, because you realize, well, you're going to lose both Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas. Well, who replaces them? Well, a year ago or, or in 2021 when Kayshawn Booty suffered the ankle injury and before that you had um, – you know, 2020 you had um, in the, you know, Jamar Chase opted out and in the middle of the season Terrace Marshall opted out. And, well, who's going to go catch the ball? Well, here comes Kayshawn Booty. And he was you know, he was great that year as a freshman. So I, I don't I feel like LSU, the state of Louisiana, man, there's just never a shortage of really athletic dudes that can run, jump, and catch the ball. So I kind of always just expect the next the next Malik Neighbors, the next Brian Thomas, the next Odell Beckham, the next Jarvis Landry, the next Reuben Randall. Um, that that guy's going to be there, and you know I think. This past year, they signed some really good young receivers. Shelton Sampson out of Catholic High. Uh, they went into Texas and, and got uh, got Jalen Brown. They they've got they've got some really good young talented receivers that I think are going to get their opportunity next year. Um, and I, I don't know that LSU skips a beat there because I just I'm banking on history here, Coach. They they just never seem to have a shortage of those dudes that are tall and fast and can run and jump. I mean, even you look at Justin Jefferson, who's Maybe the best receiver. I mean, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. I mean, Jefferson was a two-star coming out of Destrahan. I mean, how That's did right. I miss on that guy? You know, That's right. He's just the best receiver in the world right now. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know, man. I go go into the River Parishes and, and find me some some tall dudes that can run fast and jump. And I bet you, all <laughs> you know, coach, it's not a, a, a recruiting is, is is not exact science. You never know yeah. because you have to have the intangible. You don't know what's in here when the ball is in the air. Some of those guys turn into be demons. You know, they're unbelievable. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the big thing in recruiting, I've done it before, you, there, you, there's some misses out there. Not that you want to miss, but there's some misses. It might not be the speed that you're looking for. Maybe kids got, got a little heavier than, than normal. Or 
he can't pick up like for instance it's a running back we talk about the running back not only has to tote the ball he has to be able to pick up the blitz and if you watch logan Diggs, he does that he puts his face in there and he picks them up and uh, that's the thing that will keep you on the bench faster than anything else is not being able to pick up that blitz pickup you know and uh it's not just carrying the ball and making touchdowns you better be, be able to protect your quarterback in the, at least a six-man protection. Josh Williams has done that as well, and it's yes. one of the reasons that they love Josh Williams. He, you know, you can you can look at Josh Williams and you can look at Logan Diggs, and you can tell why one guy was a scholarship guy and one guy was a walk-on. There's a there's just a different level of size and speed and just and the tangible assets. Uh, but both guys are willing. They're willing runners. They're willing receivers. They're willing blockers, and and and. The other point that you mentioned, Coach, they don't fumble. Like Josh Williams doesn't fumble the football. They trust that they can turn around and give him the ball, and if you need two yards, he's going to get you three, and he's going to hold on to it. So you're right about Bly. There was a great play um, earlier this year in that Arkansas game where LSU had a rally where um, Jaden Daniels threw a go-ahead touchdown pass, and Josh Williams was unsung on the play because he stayed in on blitz pickup and and ate a giant uh rush a huge block which allowed Jaden daniels to make the throw so a lot of those things don't always get noticed by by you know the by the fans the, the hundred two thousand sitting in the stands but um i think coaches notice them and their teammates notice them as well and and, and lsu's got some some really good guys they're deep at that position they're talented and i think they're going to be good at running back for a while no i agree i agree well coach listen this last question the um coach watching the game and naturally i was on watching it from tv but uh, when Daniels got hit, okay, mm -hmm. I can understand, well, it was a bad blow. But if you notice that right tackle also had a hand in the face mask, I mean, I'm sorry, the defensive end, number 15, had his hand in the face mask with right tackle from LSU at the same time. I said, how do you miss both of those things, you know? And maybe the review, I, they said in the paper they reviewed it. I don't know if they really did uh, to, to be considered targeting. They I had a. I mean, I can answer that really quickly. So they have a collaborative replay in in Birmingham. So the the referee on the field doesn't go look at a at a screen. He just puts on headsets, and so the the replay center in Birmingham looks at it. And sometimes they'll make that, and they'll make they can quickly make a determination if they feel like it was targeting or not. So I listen. I mean, I understand, Coach. Twenty years ago, thirty years ago, that hit. They're putting it on a highlight film, and they're selling and they're selling the VHS, right? Yes. Yes. Um, but everyone that plays and watches football in 2023 knows you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and how that was not flagged for targeting. We, we, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But didn't Butkus be able to play today? Right. He, he's right. been put in jail. You know, right. it's just, <laughs> the red discus of the world, you know, the Jack Lambert. But you're right. Because it matters. Is there anything else? You, you've been great tonight. Uh, give us a lot of insight about LSU football, things that a lot of people don't know. Uh, is there anything else that you want to share with us? Man, you know, Coach, I I um I found something interesting today. Brian Kelly and his history as a, and I kind of want to tie it back to where to where you started about you know the future of the program. In each of his stops, year three is when he had his kaboom. When he went to Central Michigan, he went from four wins to six wins to nine wins, and then he got the Cincinnati job. When he went to Cincinnati. He won 10 games his first year, then 11 games his second year. His third year, they went 12 and 0. When he went to Notre Dame, he won eight games. He inherited a program that was six and six. He won eight and five, eight and five. Year three, boom, 12 and 0. They played for the national championship. There's something about that. When I, when I got 
that sort of sample size that tells me with Brian Kelly for him to, to really institute the culture and the changes he's trying to institute year three is the spot. Now it's hard to imagine that without Jaden Daniels next year. Right. But if history holds, you know, LSU could have, have a pretty, pretty special year next year. And I'm, uh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing LSU back among the among the elite. That's very interesting, Coach. That, that's really good insight and good information. Coach, listen, uh, is Gordy Rush still trying to tell you how great he was? <laughs> the older he gets, the better he was. Gordy loves to tell <laughs> a story about how Max Mfinger had Gordy Rush rated higher than Barry Sanders in 1986. <laughs> right? uh, which, which, if that's the case, how in the world does Max Mfinger have <laughs> I will tell you this, Matt, and, and I don't know if you told you this story. The very first play against St. Augustine, he was my free safety. He knocked out Leroy Hoard, who played in the, in the league for a long, long time. And, I mean, we ended up won the game because of that. Because we could have, he was the only one on the field that could tackle him. But, but Gordy was – I mean, he would be he would be flagged today the way he used to tackle. He, he would throw his helmet in there all the time. He was a tough son of a gun. So, believe me when he tells you that. He was a heck of a football player. Matt, we can't thank you enough for doing this and i mean um uh thank you for coming on uh you you made me a big fan of yours and and um i get a chance to watch you a little bit more from here on out hey coach it's my pleasure thank you so much for the invite it's my pleasure to, to chat this evening well and listen if you ever if i'm ever in baton rouge i'm available for lunch monday through friday matt i love it <laughs> and, I'm, and i'm willing to pay. if you're willing to tell stories i'm willing to buy lunch. oh i can tell you some stories now okay <laughs> you take care thank you so much for showing up thank you my pleasure we want to once again thank Matt Moscona for joining us on the Let's Be Frank video podcast. And we want to thank our sponsor, LSR. LSR produces Southern Cane, pure cane sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Ross's supermarkets. Samuel Licardo Jr. and Henri P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Accardo and Ari Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen.
And we are back on the Let's Be Frank video podcast on the Let's Be Frank segment. But we'd like to thank Riverlands Insurance for being a sponsor for the Let's Be Frank video podcast. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. So we're going to go ahead into the Let's Be Frank segment presented by ULCS. And today, Coach, you're going to talk about the new home and away rules for the LHSAA playoff system. Uh, just a point of clarification, I think that after talking to Coach uh, Coach Weinstein, who became the number one seed because it, when he became the number one seed, he was a little concerned about the second round, maybe making a, a, a playoff appearance on the road the second week of the playoffs. And uh, then during the weekend, the LHSAA sent out an uh, email clarifying that point because last year that was the case because last year, the second round, if you were number one seed, you could go on the road to play a lower seed. Well, the LHSA clarified that this year, where you do not have to do that. So you you basically, if you're number one seed, you'll be number one all throughout the playoffs, which is it should have been clarified because that gives you a real, real big advantage. That's why you have the power ranking system. To So it's, it's, it's not an equalizer with the other team. So this way you deserve it. Uh, you earned it, and this way you get a chance to play more games at home and that sort of thing. Now, on the, the flip side of it, you've got 28 on one side and 24 on the select side. And, as you know, uh, but as most of you know, with eight uh, possible champions there, uh, it's still watered-down brackets. And, I mean, no matter how you slice it, you still have a lot of blowouts in it, especially first or second weeks in there. And, you know, technically I would love to see it one day go back to where it was, have your five champions, because really if you're number 28 on one side, when you split them, you're really not 28. You're really way down there. You're about 48, uh, somewhere down there. And, and so should those teams deserve to be in a playoff, unless you're in a real tough district and you have, you have five and five team or four and six or three and seven team, unless you're a real tough district, it's hard for you to win ball games there. When years ago, I want people to understand, Years ago, and there were three cases that happened when we were all together. It was no select or non-select. Uh, we had a, three times the number 32 seed beat the number one seed. But that's not going to happen anymore. That's not going to happen with, with this thing. So I would love to see all that come back together, and it would make it simple. Just to have five champions like you used to be. And more importantly, you'd have 15 possible games. The way it works now, uh, you, you might the, the most you can play with you on the select side is going to end up being 14 games. You know, so if, if you have, have that buy, that's the most that's the most you're going to, you're going to play. Uh, technically, it's, it's 13 games, so you lose a lot of revenue there because you think one playoff game could you could make 25, 30 thousand in one playoff game. So I would love to see one day that this happens. Uh, and the flip side of it, okay. Well, Coach, what about some of these other teams that want to play a 11th game? It used to be a time they had a bowl game at the end of the year. And you have the option, and it was made by the by, by – sometimes there's the, uh, a private group like the JCs or, or the KCs. They would sponsor a bowl game, and they, they treated just like the colleges did. They, they treated the kids and uh, to, to meals and gave them gear and stuff like that. Uh, there's no reason why you couldn't have that also instituted at the end of the year and make it optional for teams that wanted to play at least 11th game right after the season was over with so the kids were still in shape and the gear was still distributed. So, uh, you know, i really like to see one day that maybe in January, uh, maybe people might start to bridge this gap again because, remember, when they first divided, it was only divided by six votes. And, uh, and, and I remember some, some of the people that I depended on being at that first meeting uh, didn't even show up to vote. So, 
Uh, I would like to see that one day come back together again, but I don't know if that ever going to come to a fruition in, in my lifetime. Coach, I think you're absolutely right when you talk about it. I think the division is a little bit too much, but realistically, if, if Frank Monica were the commissioner and had unwielding power and whatever you say went, do you think it would be more effective or beneficial to, for the game to have – there's been a lot of discussion of having four classifications or six. Uh, do you think either one of those options would improve what we've seen or, or be beneficial to the game? What I don't like about the four, when you divide the state up, and you do it numerically as far as enrollment. If you're, if you're four and you're at the bottom of that last class and at the top of that class, there's a big discrepancy in numbers. So you might have a maybe an enrollment of three or 400 difference. And we went through that. And we went through that when three and four were originally put together a few years ago. So you so by having five, you can equally just divide them up and say well, they're the last team. So you're closer. You're closer to the people that you're playing, what I'm saying. That's not a big discrepancy in numbers unless there are schools like that that, that elect a player because they have the athletes that they can do that. And they can kind of, and some people are actually controlling their enrollment just to do that. So, I mean, that's, that's not, that's not a, a, a bad thing either. Six might be a little bit too many, but I like the, 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 where we were with five, and I thought that was as far as the Superdome. It fit. It fit pretty good, and those numbers fell in place. Remember, the numbers totally are kind of gradually falling all over the state. So each year, the classification numbers fall a little bit, and some people increase, but for the most part throughout the state, numbers are falling. I mean, whether it's people having less babies or people moving out of town, whatever it is, but the numbers are falling. Thanks, Coach. And we're going to take a look at our Blitz the Ball Coach question. And this week the question is, should defensive linemen line up on or off the ball? You know, this has been – I've heard people talk about this. LSU got got um, hammered on it because it, uh, some guys showed a clip and said, look how far they're, they're all off the ball and stuff like that. Remember, there's two rules of thought on that. One, if you're reading defense, if you tell your defensive line we're reading – the hat, or we used to call it the screws of the helmet. If you're reading the hat of that offensive lineman, it gives you a little bit more time, gives you a lot more time to read that hat, him coming off the line of scrimmage, okay? If you're right on the ball, uh, if, you, if you have a penetrating defense, you probably will be on the ball. If, you, if you're doing blitzes, you're probably going to be on the ball. But reading defense will be off. Also, if you're slanting, some defenses like to slant and to negate the run, to, to cancel those gaps. If you're slanting, or if they're doing what they call a twist, or what's known as TNT twist, tackling, tackling, and, and the tight end, uh, tackling and tackle twist. If you have these TNT twists and stuff like that, you want to be off the ball because it gives you a little bit more space. So there's a reason for those being off the ball. It's not just bad coaching, and it's not that the players are told to do that. There's a reason for that. Some people do it better than than others, but but the, but you know, uh, offensive linemen do this. Uh, I always taught my offensive linemen. Two, three position. One would be on the ball, which you all is predicated on the center's feet. Okay. So one on the ball on certain plays. Two was midway on the center. And three was well back off the center. So it depended what you wanted to try to achieve in the offensive line. So most of the time you at level two, where you can pull. Uh, you pull a little bit easier. Level three sometimes was, was people use it uh, for, for, for pulling also, especially on the trap play. So offensive linemen do that too. Nobody talks about the offensive linemen because it's not noticeable uh, when they do it. And if you ever watch, especially, especially the tackles have to block the high rusher, uh, sometimes in that kick step already, it looks like his, he, he gets to call it in the backfield sometime for illegal procedure because he's so deep. 
So there's a reason for people being on and off the ball. Thank you, Coach. And uh, definitely some clarification after seeing that earlier in the season. But, Coach, we also wrapped up the World Series. And what were your thoughts on the way that series transpired? Well, I think that it was a phenomenal series. You know, uh, Arizona, and no team won over 90 games in Arizona doing what they did with that young club. Uh, was 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 tremendous, even though they were defeated. But uh, give the Texas a lot, a lot of credit. Uh, Corey Seager. I don't know if I've seen in all my years of watching baseball, and and as you know, that's my background. I've never seen a better shortstop in the major leagues. He makes all the plays. And I don't know if people realize that there was one error in that entire World Series, and that's when the center fielder just happened to try to scoop and and, and scoop the ball up, and the ball went through him uh, for Arizona. But there was one error. It was a real, real clean game. It was intense clean, well-pitched game. And, uh, you know, uh, I just think that Arizona just did not have the power to contend with Texas. All right, Coach, we're going to head on to our last segment, which is the lock of the week. Coach, who are you liking this week uh, as it relates to these bets? I think I'm going to take the 14 and a half points from Miami. And I did Miami plays, you know, play Florida State. Florida State is there, you know, they're right there. They got a lot to play for, but that's an in-state rivalry. And, and it always had been. That's always been a real, real big game over the years. Uh, you know, it, it, when, it, when it goes back to great coaches like Bobby Bowden were there. And, and I mean, it's, it's just a tremendous driver. So I can see I can see this going down to the wire. I'm not saying that uh, Miami's going to win, but I certainly think they will cover that spread. Definitely one of the best rivalries in college football, no doubt about it. I'm going to go with Michigan minus five and a half against Penn State. I know a rule of thumb is you don't bet road favorites. It's a very risky business. But, Coach, I'm at the point where Penn State put up or shut up. I've heard that this is your year for about three or four times. Put up or shut up. And right now I haven't seen it. I just have not seen Coach Franklin be able to get the job done or they get over that hump of being third best in that division in recent years. So I think Michigan is a really good ball club, whatever uh, – Whatever other nonsense going on behind closed doors is a different discussion for another day, but I think Michigan's a good football club, and minus five and a half, I'll, I'll take those points. I agree. I agree. So we'll go ahead and give you guys our social media. We're going to get out of here. Uh, so remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, X, and TikTok. Facebook is at the Let's Be Frank Video Podcast, and the others are the LBF Podcast. So they'll do it for us. Coach, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Well, guys, let's just keep your eyes on these playoffs. It's a fun time of the year, and everybody's excited about playoffs. And, uh, you know, it's not where you where you start. It's where you finish. So I think um, uh, let, let's just make sure that we, we support and be a true fan and not a critic and um, the, of, of coaches and players. So that, that's so important in, in high school football. So that'll do it for us, for Justin Thomas, for head coach Frank Monica. I am Jason Duet. And remember, let's lay ball and turn on the good times roll. God bless everyone.